in the morning when you need the news that matters most. They can kiss my f***ing ass right downtown and print it. You need the front page. All these mother editorials. On the press box. They're really, really behind you around here. My f***ing ass. With Graney and Bischoff. Rip them mother Rip them suckers like the f***ing players. The Dodgers beat the Mets 4-3 to last night. Gavin Lux drove in three runs for the Dodgers, and the Dodgers' bullpen didn't allow a run in four innings pitched. Who is Jake Reed, who got his first save last night for the Dodgers? Jake Reed's kind of a journeyman. Uh, also pitched for the, what a shock, the Mets. Um, kind of been up and down. Very emotional last night. You guys he are just very, throwing out random pitchers. And he was great. very emotional. Well, I don't know if he looked great, but he, he got the job done. Your favorite Met grounded in double play when he hit a ball. When he when he hit a ball out of the zone on a three two pitch, which we you know thanked him for. Uh, (laughs) But uh, a good win, giving they got a face to Grom today. Probably uh, win again today. Who's pitching for the Dodgers? Who's pitching for the Uh, Anderson? Probably out pitch to Grom. He's got a better record. Well, (laughs) Grom's throwing like five (laughs) games this year. Are you feeling good now? I just I the the pitching worries me. They're really what happens good. when they beat the ground really today? I'll come in tomorrow and, and worry about the pitching. But uh-huh. I'll say it was a good win. I'll say it was a good win. Come on, yeah. They beat the Grom today. You got to celebrate the NLCS title early. There, I was seeing this last night. It is September. No, it's it's August thirty first. Their magic number is fourteen on August thirty first. That's amazing. Can you imagine <laughs> that? Uh, did you see Timmy Trumpet? No. Okay. So you know Edwin Diaz, his right. walk-in music and all that? Okay. It's a trumpet, and it's a song by a guy named Timmy Trumpet. The Mets had him. He came to the game yesterday. He played um, Take Me Out to the Ball Game in the seventh inning okay. on his trumpet. And I think they were going to have him play Edwin Diaz's song live. While he was walking up? If he came into the game. Diaz didn't come right. into the game. Uh, it was apparently Timmy Trumpet's first ever baseball game. And he said he's coming back today, hoping that Edwin Diaz will pitch today. Better and chance today. Play his song live, which A, would be a lot of fun. But I right. also love this guy has never been to a baseball game before. I hope this guy had never watched a baseball right. game before. Or knew like, anything about baseball. Right, and was like, hold on, my song's being used how? Yeah. <laughs> and somebody had to <laughs> What's explain. What's a walk up? Right. And somebody had to explain, well, he's the close. What's a closer? And like, they just had to go through the whole process with Timmy Trumpet. And he's like. Okay, I'll go. (laughs) I'm not going to say anything but honest things here. I'm ashamed about uh, what has uh, come about in these emails, and I'll make no uh, excuses for it. It's just, it's it's shameful. But uh, I am a good person. I believe that. I, I, I go to church. I've been married for 31 years. I got three great boys. I still love football. I've made some mistakes. But I don't think anybody in here hasn't. Uh, And I just ask for forgiveness, and hopefully I get another shot. That was John Gruden speaking at the Little Rock Touchdown Club yesterday. Um, I do enjoy the I'll make no excuses, but uh, I enjoy that very much. Um, I'll say this. The one bit of credit that John Gruden deserves in this, he has not once said that the emails were not from him that's true not one time has he tried to make some weird excuse where oh i right. didn't send those said that he was, was ashamed about right. what was in the emails now 
him going on about I'm a good person, I go to church, I've been married, I have kids, none of that matters. Like none of that means you do or do not send homophobic or racist emails. Right. Like that's all irrelevant to that fact. Uh, but he has sort of always owned that he sent those emails. But he has this weird disconnect where he thinks, well, I sent those emails, but everybody knows I'm a good person. So that should be enough. Yeah. Like there's that weird disconnect of he said he sent them, but he doesn't think there should be like a level of accountability for sending them. He thinks that, oh, well, I'm I'm still a good person and everybody should know that anyways. He also said, let's go Razorbacks. He did. Um, he's now an Arkansas fan. I don't know. What? What? I don't know. Little Rock Touchdown Club. I don't, like, I don't know who knew him. I don't know who got him to go there. It was like, you know who we need before Arkansas Tweet kicks us, off the season. Tell us on Twitter if you know why he went to the Little Rock Touchdown Club. John Gruden. He's the perfect speaker to kick off the Arkansas football <laughs> season. Nothing could be wrong with that. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think Gruden has admitted he said it, has never denied that he said any of the things in those emails. But there is still, I think there is still a disconnect for him where he he doesn't sound like he understands why his job was taken away from him. Like he does, mm. he he sounds like he he believes he should still be coaching despite what those emails said. Well, I think he believed that from the beginning. Yeah. So he so he doesn't quite comprehend why those emails would cost him his right. job, which we're now what are we almost a year removed? We're like 10, 11 months removed from it. You'd like to think at some point he'd have that understanding. You think of the he gets another shot? I can't imagine he does. I mean, he hasn't denied sending those emails. Again, he called Roger Goodell, the commissioner of the NFL, a homophobic slur. Like, that's... Said he doesn't watch ESPN anymore because he doesn't want oh, yeah. to believe on the station. He was like, I worked there, but I don't believe anything they say. Yeah. Now he just watches Saturdays. <laughs> now he just watches college football because it's so innocent. <laughs> the innocence of college The innocence football. of college football. Step back one-legged... What kind of shot is that? Have you ever shot that shot? Do you work on that shot? Win. Justin Verlander has been placed on the injured list. He has a non-muscle-related calf injury, which is apparently best-case scenario for what they thought was going to be said wrong that. with Justin he Verlander. He said it wasn't that yeah. serious. So he's going to be out for 15 days. They didn't actually give a timeline for when he would be back, but he has to be out. For 15 days before he can come back being on the IL. Everything they said, Justin Verlander is going to be fine. It just might be two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, but he should be good to go at least for the postseason, probably before then, but should be good to go for the postseason. So uh, makes you happy. Not as worried as I was 24 hours ago. Not as worried as I am with Tony Gonsolin's yeah. forearm, right? They just threw out, what was that guy's name? I can't remember. Andrew Haney? No, no, no. The guy, just Jake Reed, who got the save. Oh, Jake Reed. They could probably just make him a starter. He'd go six and give up a run. <laughs> He'd be fine. Everybody the Dodgers put out there is like, who's Haney? Oh, great day. Great game today. Anderson's going to outpitch. I'm telling you, we're going to come in tomorrow. Anderson's going to have had a better game than Jacob DeGrom. Oh, uh, you know, I can't tell you that. Well, this was here for Jared, but Jared's not here today. Nathan Peterman got released by the Bears, so... Jared's going to be disappointed. Uh, Trevor Simeon is the backup to Justin Fields, which I guess is better than Peterman, but I not think it's by better much. Than Peterman. But not by much. Like the Bears, the Bears are probably screwed no matter what. But if Fields goes down, they're going to Trevor Simeon. Oh, that's going to be a disaster. That team's probably not good with Fields in there, let alone if it's Trevor Simeon for Nate Peterman keeps getting jobs though. 
well, as a backup. He keeps being he keeps being on roster. Who's going to sign him? No, well, John Gruden extended his career for three years. Is somebody going to sign him to be a backup now, or is he a practice squad guy? Could be a practice squad guy. Bears bring him back to be their third yeah. guy that's just on the practice yeah. squad. I mean, there's there can't be that big of a competition for Nathan Peterman, right? Maybe for practice squad. Raiders I should mean, bring him back. He just seems to keep getting on rosters as ba- as poor as he plays, as wow. bad as he is. Unintentional tanking. Just put him in. He'll complete passes to the other team. <laughs> you're good to go. Wait, how is that unintentional? That is clearly intentional. intentional well, I mean, you, you're trying to win, but at you, the same time, you, you're putting someone who can't lose. You so. Peterman, Peterman in, starter. you're trying to lose. You're tanking. John Gruden kept giving that guy jobs, and John Gruden wouldn't put that guy in the game. So that is, but that's what you should do. If your team's bad, I absolutely. Where's Peterman? Get him on the line. Get him in the roster. Get him under center. He's our quarterback for 17 games. What? He won the job, guys. What can I say? He's going to be the starter. We're going 0-17. We're getting the first pick. Daddy had a breakaway. The Browns released Johnny Stanton uh, yesterday, former UNLV quarterback that had been a fullback the last couple of years with the Browns. Um, Johnny Stanton, by the way, sent out a tweet that sort of implied that he would not even like be re-signing as the practice squad guy. Because that's been, Stanton's mostly been the backup fullback, but the Browns don't carry two fullbacks. So he's been sort of the practice squad guy. And then when somebody gets hurt, he gets elevated up and plays a few so games. Send out the tweet hoping someone's going to sign him to a 53 or he wants to go to a different practice squad for a better chance. The problem for Stanton is there's only a probably like 10, 11 teams that, that they, carry they, they use one a, fullback. They use a fullback. Let Raiders be one of them. Right. So he probably, I would guess somebody signed him to a practice squad would be my guess. Um, but maybe not. I mean, he's played on special teams when he's played too. So I would guess, and I'm hoping Josh McDaniels does, because I like Johnny Stan. He's been on the show a couple of times. He's fun. I, uh, what was the question again? I'm sorry. I just got this. <laughs> Armani Rogers made the Washington Commanders 53-man roster as a tight end. So former UNLV quarterbacks, not playing quarterback, but he is a tight end now for the Washington Commanders. Is he going to be good? I mean, he hasn't played it much. Didn't Washington, I read, take six tight ends? Well, remember, we talked about right? this after one of their preseason games. They had their depth chart, and they had nine tight yeah, ends on I the Yeah, I think roster. they kept six. <laughs> that's a lot for a 53, to tell you what. If they, if they set a 53-man roster and they have six tight ends, that's a lot of tight ends. We always we made fun of John Gruden for having five tight ends yeah. on the roster, and Washington has more. So there's two things with Armani Rodgers that I— haven't seen him play. No idea if he's any good at these two things. If he's a tight end who's a converted quarterback, is he any good at blocking? I have no idea if he I is. I have no idea. Normally, when you take depth tight ends, they're good at blocking. Right. And then the second thing, is he good at catching passes? Right? Because that's something well, he didn't do in his gotta career. got to show them that he's been good at something, or he right. wouldn't have made the 53-man roster. Because Even his, if it's the commanders. What made him great as a quarterback was not his throwing his ability, was his ability to break off big runs. Right. And so it's not hard for me to envision, oh, Armani Rodgers catches a pass as a tight end, breaks a tackle, and runs for 60 yards. Right? That's He did that as a quarterback. So, But, the, but again, the main question is, can he catch at a respectable level? And then the other part, if you're a backup tight end, can you block? Because nor- normally when you have extra tight ends, it's like, oh, we're on the goal line. Here comes the three tight end package. And that guy's in here just to block for the running back or the occasional, hey, we're going to run a play action pass. They're going to forget about you because you've never run a route in your life. And we're just going to lob it up and let you catch it. So I'm curious, like, 
I hope he play. Like I hope we get to see him oh, play I hope in the he, offense. I hope to see him play because it sounds fun. Like it sounds like a fun quarterback that might actually get some our uh, quarterback turned to tight end that might get uh, some fun plays in there. All right, coming up next, we'll jump into Game Two of the Western Conference Semifinals as the Aces need to even the series. Back to the press box, summer edition. The Las Vegas Aces take on the Seattle Storm tonight. It is game two of the semifinals. I'll be there, Ed. My dad likes watching the Aces. I'm going. Yeah, with you them and again. your dad like to go to yeah, those games. Yeah. Those are fun. They're fun. And listen, they're fun games to be. Will at. you be up top again? Yes. Actually, right. my the normal seats we get were taken, so now I got to sit over a little bit. We're not dead center court anymore. I'm okay. A little disappointed. But you're but at the top. Yeah, they'll be good. Miss twice during a slice. Would you go get the slice? Not tomorrow because my dad's going to want to go home and go to bed. Also, uh, probably not ever because it's a piece of pizza and it's probably going to be a, you probably have to wait for 30 minutes to get I wonder it if it's missed games. twice earn a slice. I wonder if you have to show the ticket. I think so. I think that's what it is. Yeah. Show your ticket stub at the pizza place at Mandalay Bay and you get a free slice of pizza. Okay. So All right. I'm assuming there's a long line after there's two misses to get a free piece of pizza or maybe nobody can find it and it's really quick to get a free piece of pizza. I don't know. But no, probably won't go. But I look forward to people cheering if they miss two free throws. Yes. It's very fun. Uh, but they are, in all seriousness, Aces games, one of, one of like the most fun to go to in this city. Like it's a very, very good atmosphere for Aces basketball here. Now, maybe if they aren't any good in the future, it might not be that way. But especially in playoff games, it's it's been good. Um, Asia Wilson got named Defensive Player of the Year in the WNBA. Uh, you think that's a precursor to her winning MVP? Yes, I think she wins the MVP. I have to assume she does. If she's been named defensive player of the year and she's one of the better offensive players in the league, I have to assume that leads to MVP. But you know what I find funny? Asia Wilson, she's been in the WNBA for four years. Her first three years in the WNBA, the Aces ranked first or second in defensive rating. This year they rank sixth. And this is the year she won defensive player of the year. Not, Not atrocious, right? That's middle. That's the okay. league average. There's only 12 teams in the league, so six is okay. Av- they went from best I think in the led league the league in blo- did she lead the league in block shots and rebounds? So I spent too much time looking uh, at numbers yesterday. First off, caveat: defensive stats in basketball are still not great for measuring individual play. Right, it's still a little tough. But if you go through this, she's got good numbers for defensive rebounds, good numbers for block shots. Right, the two sort of main individual counting stats. She did very well on, but if you go through some of the other defensive stats, individual defensive rating, she ranked 29th this year in the WNBA and her teammates, Dierica Hamby was 28th. Chelsea Gray was 30th. Kelsey Plum was 37th. uh, Jackie Young was 43rd. Again, individual defensive uh, analytics aren't great, but what that should tell you is that Asia Wilson being on the floor wasn't that big of a difference because all of her teammates have similar defensive right, ratings. Right, but you and I both know, because we've voted for this stuff in the past, people just look at rebounds and block shots. Sure, yes. Um, they also, the WNBA also has a, they do have a stat that tries to encompass defensive impact. It's called defensive win shares. Asia Wilson was only 23rd. Like, she was not very high in defensive win shares this year. Uh, wasn't even first on her team. Uh, and then... This, this to me was the stat that I thought was probably most important for Asia Wilson and her individual defensive abilities. The WNBA average for field goal percentage on shots within five feet of the basket is 60.2%. 
eight, when Asia Wilson was on the floor, Ace's opponent shot 59.9% within five feet. So Asia Wilson did not have a material impact on team's ability to score at the basket this okay. season in the WNBA. And here's the key. All of these numbers here, John Quell Jones and Brianna Stewart, significantly better than Asia Wilson. But they did not lead the league in blocks. They did not lead the league in blocks. Uh, but I, I'd be willing to bet, in reality, Asia Wilson, not the best defensive player in the league okay. this year. John Quell Jones probably deserved it over Asia Wilson. Um, now, for this actual game, do you believe that it comes down to Asia Wilson versus Brianna Stewart? This I think it comes down to Asia Wilson being Asia Wilson because I think Brianna Stewart's going to get hers like she usually does against the Aces. But if Asia Wilson has one shot in the fourth quarter and would she shoot three of ten, yep, then they could lose again. Yep, I think three, it comes down more to Asia Wilson being herself. Three of ten in the fourth, or oh, oh for one in the fourth. Three of ten. Oh for one in the fourth. Yeah, overall. So, and, and I know you put that on Seattle's defense a lot. I still put it on Hammond and her staff. I just think someone has to say in a timeout or whatever, she's had one shot. Can we find a way to get her the ball? <laughs> so I would, I think I go the exact opposite way. I think if you're the aces, there is zero reason to force the ball to Asia Wilson. Because what made the aces great this year is having multiple players that can carry the offensive load. But Asia, were they doing that that night? They all sucked except Chelsea Gray. Chelsea right. Gray was the only one that could make a shot right. in that like entire game. Um, Asia Wilson did not lead this team in scoring. Kelsey Plum did, right? Chelsea Gray was at the last game of the regular season, second to last game of the regular season, had a 30-point game, carried the team to a win. Right? Jackie Young, most improved player, had multiple 20-point games this year. They have four players on this team that can be the leading scorer in a playoff win. We know that. And so to me, if I'm the aces and Seattle goes out of its way to take Asia Wilson out of the game, then I let them take Asia Wilson out of the game. And Kelsey Plum, Chelsea Gray, Jackie mm -hmm. Young have to have good games. Chelsea Gray did. She had a pretty good game, but Kelsey Plum was bad. I mean, she was eight of 23 from the floor. She had two chances to tie the game in the fourth quarter, missed both threes. That's that to me is the answer. If they want to take Asia Wilson out, if I'm the aces, I sit back and say, "Our we have enough firepower offensively that you can do that, and we're still yeah. going to win the game. I still think if she's a league MVP, you have to let her do something in the fourth quarter. Yeah. I think you have to. I mean, maybe not force it, but there's other ways she can draw things up to get her the ball. I mean, I would think she can adjust yeah. and draw things up. So and th this is the problem that I'm curious to see how or if Becky Hammond uh, solves it. I talked about Kia Stokes earlier this week and how – she missed a couple layups, and Seattle simply did not guard her outside the paint, right? There was the one play where she's on the three-point line, and Tina Charles is doubling off the ball. Her her person has the ball, and she just leaves her to go double Asia Wilson in the post. That's the problem. I'm curious to see how does Becky Hammond solve that? Does Kia Stokes just simply not go to the three-point line because conceivably she won't miss three layups again? Or this is what I would consider if I was Becky Hammond. Ileana Rupert plays instead of Kia Stokes because you know who hit the first three of the game for the Aces? Ileana yeah, Rupert. Yeah, Ileana Rupert. She's, uh, what is she, from France, and she's yes. the one that came in halfway through the season and had a couple of big games where she hit some threes. She can shoot the three, and she conceivably plays center. And if you put her on the floor and Seattle doesn't guard her, she'll she knock down you. threes. The What I'm guessing the issue for Becky Hammond is is on the other end of the floor where Seattle is going to throw you Tina Charles and Brianna Stewart. You've got to have two players with size 
to guard Seattle. And she, I'm guessing she doesn't trust Ileana Rupert that much defensively. Otherwise, it would if she does, Rupert should have been in the game in the second quarter and not come out because she would have solved a lot of problems for him. But I'm curious how Becky Hammond sort of solves the Kia Stokes problem because you do have a player on the bench that can play that position and shoot threes, right. which would force Seattle to defend you differently and presumably give Asia Wilson a lot more space. So that's sort of like... This whole season, you know, the Aces awesome offensively throughout the year. And one of my main questions was, all right, what happens in the postseason? Because we saw this with Bill Lambeer's teams. They were always good in the regular season offensively. They just beat teams up inside, but they'd get to the postseason. Teams would have very specific adjustments to guard the Aces. And because they couldn't shoot, because they didn't have good spacing, the Aces would usually end up losing a playoff series. I'm curious to see if Becky Hammond has sort of that postseason adjustment that we have yet to see from uh, or we never saw really from Bill Lambeer, and we have yet to see it from Becky Hammond because this is the first. Yeah, I mean, they, well, this is the first. I mean, Phoenix they, wasn't really yeah. uh, any kind of challenge. The starters she, didn't they, play in the fourth quarter. Yeah, they didn't have. Game, they didn't so have to adjust very much. It was irrelevant. So that's what I'm curious to see. And then the other part, they got outscored 16 to nothing in transition in game one. Right. Can the defense force some turnovers to get and them get some, some fast break points? Right. Like it, like the defense was fine in that first game, but they didn't create anything for the offense. They didn't get any easy baskets because the defense, hey, we got to steal or whatever. Can they do that just a little bit in this game? Because if it's if it's 16 to 6, they win that game, right? If they just Absolutely. get if they just get like six transition points, they win by two. Right, they win that game. But they got zero. So that's the other part is is the defense despite being fine, it didn't create it wasn't great. It didn't create anything and I won and that's the other part with Seattle. Sue Bird's not going to turn it over a lot. Brianna Stewart's not going to turn it over a lot. Those are the two handling the ball the most for them. It might simply be a matchup where their defense isn't good enough to force turnovers because the other two teams' best players are good enough not to turn it over. Yeah, they're just, I mean, it's not realistic to think, oh, we're going to force Sue Bird into six turnovers today. Like, it's just just not realistic to happen. If it does, Aces win by like 30 or something like that. But that's just something that's probably not realistic at the end of the day for the Aces to do. So you just need a few of them. Here or there, and that might be enough to actually change it. Uh, before we go to break, here's a tweet from Adam Schefter. Darren Waller, who has been seeking a contract extension throughout the offseason, signed this morning with Drew Rosenhaus. Rosenhaus said, the hope is to get this deal done as soon as possible. We'll get more into Waller, Drew Rosenhaus, and the Raiders situation at 9 o'clock. But coming up next, Jason Fitz joins the show. He plays the fiddle and is friends with Sarah Spain. And you are not. It's time for our weekly visit with ESPN's Jason Fitz. Hello, Jason. Hey, Jason. How's everybody doing? This We're all together. It feels so good. This is, you know, we're, we're, we're done with meaningless football. God, life is good, y'all. All right. Before we get into any football, um, how was playing the national anthem for the Yard Goats? Okay, so this is a true story. The first time I ever played the national anthem for any team in public in a big level, I sang it a bunch in different groups. But the first time I ever played it on fiddle for the world to see was in a, before sporting events was on a Band Perry tour. And when we were out on tour, um, and we were doing can we were touring Canada, and we would go through this segment where I would play portions of O Canada, and we would use that to get into a song we had at the time called Pioneer. And we had one show in Bangor, Maine. And we were like, what are we going to do with the O Canada section? So we were like, oh, let's just, I'll just play the anthem on fiddle there instead of O Canada. So we played it, and the crowd went nuts. So it became a staple for that whole tour. I played the national anthem every night. 
huge crowds. Uh, and then, you know, I, I was lucky at the time to meet somebody with the Raiders that has since become a really close friend, and he was a big country music fan. He's like, you should come out and play it for a Raiders game. So the first time I played it for a big sporting event, standing on the 50-yard line in Oakland for the Raiders, it was, it was Carr's rookie year, I think. And, I, you know, I'm standing there next to all the players that I'm just, like, infatuated with. And the lady that was running it, because they were doing a flyover, she was so nervous. It was Military Appreciation Sunday. She walks up to me beforehand, and she's nervous about everything. I'm about to play for, you know, 50,000 people. And I look at her, I'm like, man, it's all good. We're, we're going to be fine. I got this. Don't worry about it. I was calming her down. So, you know, <laughs> I've been lucky enough to play it at a handful of massive crowds. So I say this endearingly, but, like, when I was walking up to the yard goats, the person – minor league baseball stadium had maybe 2,000 people there. As I was walking up, the person running, it was like, if you have any questions, let me know. Just don't be nervous. I'm sure you'll be great. I just sort of laughed. It's like, I think I got a minor league baseball game where they're giving out bobbleheads to Mike Ola Jr. I don't think I'm taking it that seriously. So, uh, but, you know, the Twitter reaction has been great. I love playing it. So, you know, hopefully I'll get to play it for the Raiders again someday. Legion Stadium, 50-yard line. Well, you know, I, 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 they're booked this year with really famous people. I'm not really famous. But I am at least trying to wiggle my way into maybe play the autumn wind uh, at an Allegiant Stadium game this year. That way, I can get a little bit of a little bit of a moment and just you know basically score free tickets. That's what this is all about, right? We've talked about it. The acoustics in there, it, the sound is terrible. You don't want to play in there. It's, everybody's going to think you're bad at it. Okay, so years ago, the Nashville Predators, when they were not a good hockey team, <laughs> put a band up between every period. They always do. They still do, but. They put a band up, and it was at that, that moment that people want to forget where the Preds' attendance was so bad that they were actually about to be sold. And so they had no band. And uh, I have a buddy that worked there, and she called me, and she said, hey, I can't pay anybody anything. I have no budget, and I need a band between every period. I love hockey. So I was like, yeah, I'm all in. Let's go. I'll get some buddies that love hockey, and we'll play. And so we, my, my rule was, like, if I'm playing for 800 people in a massive arena, I'm not going to care about it. So – I, I'm standing in between, like, the little stage, and during the period, I just look around everybody, and I say, hey, you know, what do we all know? What's a cover we all know? And my buddy, Derek Wells, who since has won the Academy of Country Music Award for the, the Guitar Player of the Year a bunch of times, he's an incredible musician. He freaked out on me in the second period. He's like, dude, we are going to look like idiots, because it was a rare game where there were a bunch of people. He said, we are going to look like idiots. And I was like, D. Wells, always remember this. Everybody in the crowd that's a musician is going to think we suck no matter what we do, and everybody that's not is going to think we rock no matter what we do. So let's just have a little fun. <laughs> that's how I look at me playing uh, Autumn Wind at, at Allegiant. Like, any, like, snooty musician there is going to hate what I do anyway, and uh, fine, they trade places with me in a heartbeat. Anybody that's just a fan is going to have a good time. Okay, so how did you like Al Sweathergood getting t- cut? Uh, I think Alex Leatherwood getting cut was... Um, right for the player, right for the team. You know, and at some point, you got to look at it and say, if this organization, if the new regime doesn't like putting a square peg into a round hole, then you just got to move on. And look, I, I mean, we've seen plenty on Twitter, plenty of people breaking down some of the uh, mistakes that he makes in technique. But sometimes you just need a, a a fresh start. My hope for Alex Leatherwood is he goes somewhere where, frankly, he doesn't have to play this year and he can just learn from people, and he can turn this into a really good career, probably as a guard somewhere in the NFL. But if you're the Raiders and you don't love somebody, this, this is the time. I mean, you're never going to have more autonomy than you do right now if you're Ziegler and McDaniels. You haven't even played a game that counts. So if you're going to Mark Davis and saying, hey, let's just throw money away like we got it, this is the time to do it. So I'm not surprised by the move. 
for that simple reason. I think it was going to come down to Leatherwood or Clee, and the fact is they can get out of Farrell for no money after this season and just be done with that experiment. Is he? Is it? Is the cap hit worth it, though? You say, you know, throw away money like you have it, but they burned almost $8 million in cap space, and presumably they can still sign somebody like Ndamukong Sue or an offensive lineman. Is that ultimately worth it to you to throw that away to have, you know, Thayer Munford as the backup right tackle instead of Alex Leatherwood? Uh, the only thing with the cap space, because you make a great point, but the thing is, that's not going to get easier over the next few years. Like, some of these contracts are, yeah, and I was actually talking last night to Bobblehead uh, Gojo, the real, the real Michael Jr., not the Bobblehead one, actually, uh, about, you know, this is sort of credit card problems that are going to come down at some point for, you know, the Raiders. If the salary cap continues to explode, great. But according to some reports, Darren Waller is about to become the highest paid tight end in the NFL. How are you going to have the, one of the highest-paid wide receivers, one of the highest-paid slot receivers, the highest-paid tight end? Like You're going to start having to hit home run after home run after home run in the draft. So I don't think the salary cap situation is going to get easier for them. So you might as well take the hit this year when, you know, yes, you're right, it, it strings them along a little bit. But I wouldn't be surprised to see the almost immediate restructuring of some of these contracts to try and create more space as they go. But, man, they would better be hitting it every one of these drafts because they're spending too much money. This is a – competitive team for all the tweaks that everybody wanted to put out last year about the lack of uh, impact from 19, 20, and 21 in the first round of the draft and the second round. My God, this is still a, a division-winning caliber roster, so they're getting away with it now. What mostly surprised you, because I don't think Leatherwood did on the 53, was it the uh, Mullen trade? What what surprised you the most? Yeah, the Mullen trade stunned me, guys. Like I, I know that he hasn't been healthy. I believe Trayvon Mullen can be a serviceable, if not very good, corner in this league. And, you know, whatever the health issues are, he hasn't even been on the, the, the field long enough to prove whether he can or can't play. So I was surprised that they made a decision. They were out on somebody that, frankly, just hasn't been there. Or they're so in on everybody else in the secondary that's full of guys that, you know, most teams came up on. Now, maybe Nate, Nate Hobbs is about to take this leap and become the number one corner, which would be a much different way than the last regime saw him. But even at that... I just giving up on, on Trayvon when all you got was a conditional, like what sixth round pick, if he plays a lot in, in Arizona, what sixth round pick next year is going to make a difference to the Raiders this year. And in a, a division full of great offenses, I was stunned to see Trayvon moved. Uh, we just had the report this morning uh, from Adam Schefter that uh, Darren Waller is signing with Drew Rosenhaus. Uh, we obviously had Josina Anderson say that, They've had discussions about making him the highest paid tight end in football. Do you think that deal gets done soon? And do you think the Raiders should make Darren Waller the highest paid tight end in football? Uh, okay. So Darren Waller, the human being. Yes. Darren Waller, the video game uh, character. Yes. If I ran the Raiders, would I have some caution on uh, a tight end that's missed a lot of games over the last couple of years that we all know is absolutely incredible. Like, when you have the franchise tag available, I know nobody likes to use the franchise tag, but I don't see, like, other than the fact that I love the human being and I, I just, I root for the man, Darren Waller, why, if I put play shoes on the other foot game, am I handing him a massive long-term deal when we don't know long-term what his body is going to be capable of? And this is one thing that, you know, I, I think you see all the time and, and I've dealt with in the music industry, you know, without a bunch of, without a bunch of tackles being involved, but my God, if you have lived through a life of addiction, your body doesn't always age the same. Like the, 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 your capabilities physically can be implement, uh, impacted. I don't think 
we know, and, and, and I don't want to be reckless and speculate that he's going to have you know, injuries the rest of his career, but if you're the Raiders, the only advantage of getting it done now is it's a great thing to do for a great human being that's a leader in the locker room. I believe in all of those elements, but if you just take the, the personal heart out of it, I mean, the business side of it, I, I, I would make Waller play through the year, and then I'd franchise him and do a deal after that. So... Would Darren Waller do that? If you're Darren Waller, if the Raiders said we're not giving you a deal now, would he play through this season on his current contract? I don't think he'd push his body if his body has even a slight nick, and I don't blame him for that. But, you know, at the same time, I don't know that the player himself in, in today's world has that much leverage. You know, like, you'd have to come in at some point. You know, you, you can only miss whatever it is, I think, 10 games before you don't get the accrual of the season. So you'd have to come in at some point and play – and then it becomes very contentious, and you've also lost a year of earning at 30, 31 years old. So, you know, I think that right now, if I was Darren Waller, no, there's a part of me that'd say, fine, you know, figure it out yourself. But you're also taking the chance in that process that Foster Moreau, who Darren Waller said on the Bustin' with the Boys podcast, is a starter in this league. Well, gives Foster the chance to prove if he's a starter in this league, which gives the Raiders more ammunition to not sign him should they choose to, like, the wins versus the losses on this stack up towards the Raiders, not Darren Waller, taking the human element out of it aside. I have to keep stressing that. It's August 31st. Season starts in less than two weeks. Are the Raiders going to sign an offensive lineman from somewhere between now and the start of the season? Oh my God, I hope so. Like, A, I don't think they have enough depth, and B, I don't think they have enough talent. Like, uh, there's just, I, there's a wild presumption right now you can plug anybody in and be fine because of what the Bengals did last year, and I think that's dangerous. I mean, Joe Burrow took a number of hits that most quarterbacks would never live through. Uh, I, I, as much as we sit here, and we're doing it not just with the Raiders, to be clear. Like, I sat there and argued with somebody on Spain and Fitz last week, sitting there telling me that Brady will be just fine because he gets rid of the ball quickly. And it's like, okay, so we're just going to believe that every team with the trash offensive line is just going to run quicker slants, and that's the solution? Then why do we value offensive linemen at all? But I... I think the Raiders lack depth and they lack enough talent on the right side of the line, but they also lack enough ammunition to pull off an effective trade. And this is something I debated uh, during commercial with Field Yates. Just, you know, Field was talking about going out and acquiring. Well, if you go out and acquire, it's going gonna, it's gonna to cost you something that somebody else truly values. What is that on this roster that you can get rid of that somebody truly values? Unless it's Darren Waller, and I don't think fans want to see that, and Josh Jacobs doesn't always oh, a running back in a fifth year of his, uh, or in the fourth year of his uh, contract with no fifth year picked up. Like there's no, there's no intrinsic value for the other side to pick him up. So I think they lack trade value. They're going to have to pick up somebody to at least give them depth. Uh, before we let you go, can you tell us why the Hartford guard goats were having a Mike Golick bobblehead night? Uh, because Mike, you know, for a long time at ESPN lived not too far from that uh, stadium. And, wore a lot of Hartford Yard Goat stuff on air and was sort of like a famous fan. Spent a lot of money there. So Mike, you know, it's got a loyal following in and around uh, Connecticut. So Yard Goats, by the way, have won the uh, minor league stadium of the year three years running. They always lead double uh, A in attendance. So, like, they don't need any help with bobbleheads. Uh, one, my only question is they didn't give him any of his tattoos, which I think is a little soft. Oh. And they also let him wear a hat, which he rarely, rarely does because they didn't want to make a bald bobblehead. I don't know how I feel about that either. So, like, we got to work on it, Yardos. But, uh, you know, I, I'm not impressed with that part, but the rest of it was good. How do you feel about being, like, the sideshow to Mike Golick where you're playing the fiddle and he, it's his night? Well, in fairness, the minute they announced Bobblehead Night back in February, whatever it is, 
I actually reached out to the Argos and I was like, I would like to steal Mike Thunder, so I would like to play the national anthem, which has worked brilliantly because I'm getting more Twitter love for the anthem than he's getting for having a bobblehead for sure. So I managed to steal the glory from a close friend on what was supposed to be a great night he brought his whole family out to. Nah, people were celebrating me, not him. Let's go! He's Jason Fitz from ESPN. Jason, as always, we appreciate it. You're the best, guys. Have a great week. All right, coming up next, South Carolina has renamed their mascot, and they failed miserably. All of the sun, none of the fun on the Press Box Summer Edition. Coming up later in the show, we're going to have tickets to give away to go see Motley Crue, Def Leppard, Poison, Joan Jett, and the Blackheart. So stay tuned for that. Also, Sam and Ash will join us. We'll get into some Bischoff's briefs and get more into uh, the Raiders as Darren Waller has a new agent. Uh, they had some other moves on cut down day to talk about as well. But one update to a story we talked about earlier this week, uh, South Carolina has picked a new nickname or new name for their mascot. So their mascot was the live rooster that South Carolina has was uh, big sir spur. They've changed his name to the general. So they're keeping him. Yeah. So the mascot was always going to be kept, but they're, but I don't know the full detail of it. One family used to own the rooster. Now a new family owns the rooster. And there was like an agreement for a certain amount of time that they could keep his name. And now that time has elapsed. <laughs> and so they're having to change. Time limit on I, it's very confusing. Come There's on. a lot going on here. Talk about overthinking the room. Right. So they had to change his name and they're going with the general. Um, unfortunately, like we talked about last week, Cot Commander did not win which would have been the funniest name that South Carolina could have gone with. Uh, The general, while being bad because it's not cock commander, the general's bad because all I'm going to think about if I ever see this rooster's name is those damn car insurance commercials. (laughs) That's the only thing I'm going to think about. See, I instantly thought of, I went Dukes of Hazzard and thought of General Lee. It's a good one right there. Have you seen Dukes of Hazzard? Of course not. You've never seen Dukes of Hazzard? You never saw the movie or the show? No. Uh, Do you know what the General Lee is? That's is that the car? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I know it's what the, the car looks like. It's the, the orange, orange car. car. Yeah. Yeah. But no, we did not know its name was General Lee. <laughs> but yeah, all every time I see this, I'm going to think about the General and apparently Shaq. And uh, and every time I see those commercials, I'm like, there's no way Shaq's car insurance is the General. It's just not. There's no chance that Shaq, unless the General has different uh, coverages for Shaq alone, that nobody else can get. There's no way Shaq's paying $17 for car insurance like they want you to believe everybody else is. So that's an unfortunate name. Um, Danny, did you know the odds on what the new name would be? Uh, no, I didn't oh, look into those. That's too bad. Unfortunately. That's too bad. Are you, but, are you about to go look and bet South Carolina's win total now that we've talked about South Carolina here? Uh, I can definitely look it up for us. <laughs> I don't need to know it. Do not waste any time looking it up there. But I... Do you want to know now? Is that what you're telling me? No, but this story is actually pretty great. The fact that one family owned the rooster and put a timeline on how long that name could be used while the after the other family took over ownership. That is fantastic. Shut it down. Yeah. I mean, listen, when you've got a school's mascot, you're in control. But how does the school not have their own rooster? Like with Georgia, doesn't Somebody, in terms of the bulldog, somebody who works at the school don't aren't they the owner of the bulldog? No, I don't believe so. No, I I don't know for certain. So my uh, fiance went to Mississippi State, 
and her dream job is to be the owner of Mississippi State's live bulldog mascot. Um, there, oh, there actually was a story about Georgia Uga. They have a live bulldog too. Yeah, it's no, it's normally a third party family or just a person that owns the and bulldog. Allows them to be the mascot, right? And owns like. You, I think they're usually breeders, right? Because right. it's usually a family. Right. They, they yeah, will take somebody's the, son the when old, they replace him. The old Georgia Bulldog was the father of the current right. Bulldog. He'll retire when he right. gets to, whatever, seven, eight years old and they hit one of his sons. But no, it's usually a third party. And they, like, there was a story about Ugga yeah. and his family. Like, their car or SUV is specifically built, like, where Ugga rides. Everything is set up for him. That's great. And, like, all, and, like their job. And they... They get paid because the university wants the live mascot. Mm -hmm. They get paid to drive the dog to appearances, obviously football games and anything else the football team does. And it's like, yeah, that's that's their job is to be basically the handler of the team's mascot. Oh, yeah. My my girlfriend roots for Georgia anytime they're on TV because she is <laughs> obsessed with bulldogs. Like so, her goal in life is to have a farm oh, just geez. to have 100 bulldogs oh, running around. So... One of the funniest things that happened was, so Mississippi State, I don't know if they still do it, but when we were in college, Bully, their Bulldog, would run out onto the field ahead of the football team. And Bulldogs are pretty slow, so he would get a very big head start. You know, he'd be at the 40-yard line before the players would actually make it onto the field. One of the funniest things that happened is the handler, always running with him, right, tripped and ate it, just face first into the grass, as she's trying to run the bulldog, and here comes the football team as she's laying face down on the grass <laughs> with the bulldog on the leash. One of the funniest things that's ever happened is this lady tripping and eating it. But that is definitely my fiance's dream job, is to just own a bulldog, drive the bulldog, take care of the bulldog. Hey, we're at a football game. Hey, we're at... <laughs> it's time for you to yeah, run out. We're at the Little Rock Touchdown Club, and John Gruden wanted to see the bulldog today. Like, that. that's her dream job, is to just own a bulldog and be in charge of it. Well, she owns one. She does. He is not a mascot. Of any <laughs> Tyson, our newly adopted bulldog, not a mascot. No, neither is Rory. No. And Rory would be going after people. The other part that's that I don't think she would do very well is those dogs have to be some of the best trained dogs in the world. Right. Right. And yes, you don't want them going after people. Correct. And like, we don't train our dogs very much. Like we generally let them do what they want also we adopted a nine-year-old i don't know that we're training him to do very much <laughs> no, be the mascot no. of <laughs> i don't even know if we're getting sit down anytime soon but <laughs> the whole hey this dog needs got... to be well behaved is probably not happening we're we're at the we're at the point of sick sit you got sit down with we got, rory we got sit that's good does he still collapse in the grass on walks oh yes i yes i told brandy about that and she thought that was the cutest thing she's ever he completely he completely collapses oh. and just looks at us she she wants a video of it when he does that <laughs> she wants a video of rory just collapsing into the grass on a walk <laughs>